Welcome to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannan, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. Ross Brannan is a financial advisor who knows it's not just about your teeth. He helps dental practice owners protect and maximize today's cash flow to plan for tomorrow's cash needs. Find him at rossbrannan.com. On the show, he brings together experts to help dental professionals looking to make smart money decisions to grow their income, turn their retirement goals into reality, and improve their lives. And now, here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Sharman Oliveras of Wingspan Transitions. Sharman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Glad to be here. So I was somewhat stunned when you told me earlier that you've been in the dental industry for 39 years. Now, first off, you don't look anywhere old enough to be in the dental industry 39 years, but tell us your story of your everything you've done in dentistry. So I didn't realize we're going to expose that of how long I've actually been in dentistry, first of all. <laughs> So because typically, if I ever admit that I started in dentistry in 1984, people will think she's in a wheelchair and she's 90. And I'm not. And so starting then, I was 15 in a dental practice, worked through high school, as got an RDA. By the time I got out of high school, um, went to hygiene school, uh, got, got a hygiene license by the time I was 19, started practicing for about three years. And then I was a hygienist in 1990 who was doing like $2,000 a day back then. And a consulting firm found me and said, we need you to help us. So I joined that consulting firm for the next like 10 years. And then after that, I went out on my own. So I've basically had my own company for 23 years now. During the course of all that, in the 90s, I actually bought some practices with some dentists in the San Antonio, Texas area. And so went through that as ownership, bought and sold my own. And um, brokering came into my world somewhere in the 2000s um, because just knowing so many dentists and having so many dentists trust me as a coaching consultant for so many years, the natural evolution is that they're going to become of an age or a desire to sell their practice. And so knowing how well-networked I am and how many people I've worked for over all these years they, they would come to me and say, we know you know more dentists than anyone else we know. Can you help me? And so brokering just started happening. So this was probably 15, 20 years ago. And so um, it has just kept um, evolving with me to the point where today um, I still coach and consult some, but I do most of what I do is brokering. And so when you broker, you're based in Texas. Are you doing things nationwide? Are you doing things across Texas? What does your brokerage business look like? Yes, I can actually handle things nationwide because of affiliations and partnerships that I've created. So it's not a problem. Um, Texas, obviously, I'm here based out of Texas. We have a Dallas, you know, keep a Dallas address on the company and um, have quite a support team here in Texas. But yes, I have affiliations to where I can handle anything nationwide that comes about for a dentist who needs to sell his practice or her practice. And you're unique in that a lot of these brokers only focus on DSO transactions. And while you do your fair share of DSO transactions, you do a lot of doctor to doctor transactions. Talk a little bit about that. Right. I think what makes me different from most brokers and dentists know it right away when they talk to me is that I come from the industry. 
I understand the industry clinically being a former hygienist. I mean, I still carry my license. That's that's funny. Doctors find that out. They're like, you still carry your license. But it's my dedication to the industry. You know, it's not because I practice, you know, but if I ever want to do any volunteerism, I can. Uh, But the fact that I carry that license and respect the industry, the single doctors that are wanting to sell and look for someone to trust to find the right buyer for them, I can establish that trust with them very quickly. I mean, and I and I can identify with them and I understand what they want. And I slow down as a broker and really get to understand what my seller wants. Um, because I found out a long time ago, um, you've got to create a win-win deal, no matter what you're doing. It's got to be win-win. And what this doctor tells me, this seller, what they want, I've got to go find the, the person who fits that puzzle perfectly. Yeah. So, and so... Talk a little about the doctors who choose not to sell to DSOs, because obviously DSO is a polarizing term. And I've met plenty of doctors who think they're the spawn of Satan and say they would never sell to a DSO. But you're actually you've met a lot of those people who actually follow through on their word and they want to they want to kind of pass the torch on to the next generation and sell to a private buyer. Right. Right. So many times a private buyer a lot of times when they start talking to me, they're not sure what they want to do. Sometimes they don't even know if they're ready to sell or not. You know, and so I'm that person that they can contact and I just talk them through it. I, I talk them through it. I kind of get to know enough about their business to where I can tell them what the market might bear, what a what an overall maybe number on this practice might be. I tell them don't hold me to it because I'm just shooting from the hip. But at least if I can give them a ballpark of what they own and what it may be worth, and what, um, how valuable or not it may be on the market, I help them make a decision because some of these doctors aren't sure if they want to sell yet or not. So I walk them through what the options are. In walking through the options, I always bring up to them if if they're at a level that I know a DSO would consider because I do DSO sales as well, um, but I just end up doing more private buyer sales because the doctors, that's what they want. Um, if I've got a doctor who wants a DSO sale, by all means, I've got all the DSO contacts, private equity, emergency, emerging DSOs. I can I can handle that and get them where they want to be. But that's that thing about getting a seller where they want to be. You know, the seller, what do they want? Do they want to go private? Do they, um, a private buyer, do they want to go DSO? So I help them kind of sort through all the pros and cons. And even though with some of them, um, I tell some of these, some of the doctors that are selling all the pros of a DSO, if their practice is of a level that a DSO would consider, I'm, you know, I'm going to know that after talking to them. And I, you know, even if I let them know that the practice may sell for a lot more money going the DSO route versus the private route, many times they'll still choose the private route because the doctor is concerned about their legacy. They're concerned about professionally. They're concerned about their patients and the level of care that's going to go on afterwards. And many of these doctors feel like if they can help handpick and choose who the buyer is going to be, then they can also vet them for their clinical skills. They can vet them for their chairside manner. Um, and and they, they will make a, a decision they're more comfortable with. So my job is to bring them the buyers that that are the type of buyer they're looking for. Um, do and, and I go so far as to look at the buyer as what is their overall personality? What's their 
Shareside Manor, if I can determine it and do enough uh, investigative work to figure that out. Um, because I want to bring somebody that my seller is going to have confidence in. And, you know, once I introduce them, then obviously the selling doctor always has many, many other clinical questions, truly in depth that they want to know from this private buyer. But because they can get to know the level, the buyer on that level, as I take them through the process, now that private buyer is very comfortable with who the uh, and private seller is very comfortable with who the private buyer is. So there seems to me there's a unique, fun, there's a fundamental difference in the dentist who sells to a DSO and sells to a private buyer. Is that, is that accurate? They just, they just, they're just different. They're wired. Is it fair to say they're wired differently? Sometimes they're wired differently. And, you know, for them, it's obviously not always, not all about the money because they're taking less money going down the private route as opposed to the DSO route. Am I right? Right. And, and do they consider that? Do they, do they, are they, they're willing to walk away from that? And because they just feel strongly about what they're doing. Many of them are. That's fascinating because you hear a lot about it, but you don't see it. I haven't seen a lot, but because I've always assumed that you could talk a big game, but when you see the number of DSO offers versus the number of private buyer offers, that'll change your mind really quick. But you're saying typically that's not the case. A lot of times it's not the case. And and you just learn basically don't try and just give them the information and let them make their decision. Don't steer them one way or the other. Right. And I've had and I've had some sellers who are open to looking at both. So guess what? We go down the both road and I'll go get them, you know, a couple of great two or three great DSO offers. I'll get them a couple of great buyer offers, private buyer offers. And now they really get to sift through and decide the pros and cons of what they are choosing. And you know what? A lot of times they'll back up and choose the private buyer. It's it's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It's interesting. What kind of trends are you seeing in the market right now? With the interest rates being up, is that affecting anything that you see? Not not much. The trend, the number of transactions are still occurring, even though the interest rate is much higher than what it was, you know, last year or the year before. So I'm really not seeing a slowdown on the number of transactions. People are still um, wanting to acquire the the practices at a at a huge rate right now. So, and the main thing we have seen, I would say, the last three years. The last three years, we've seen, um, I think, a greater number of transactions overall than than the previous, probably transaction per year for the previous 10 years, maybe 20. We've also seen a change in the last three years that, you know, practices now can be listed and the price can be obtained even with private, if we just look at the private buyer, not getting to the DSOs and how they buy and the multiples and all that that goes on. But if we just look at private buyers, it's different now in that they we're able to look at the previous two years, collected dollars, average that, and pretty much the price is usually 85 to 100% now. Whereas prior to the last three years, that number for the 30 years prior was 60 to 80%. Oh, wow. So you've so seen a price, price increase in the private buyer market. 
Yeah, there's been a huge jump in the last three years. And on the sellers who sell to a private buyer, are they typically more retirement age uh, people versus a DSO might be retirement age, but you also see some young docs sell to a DSO? Right. Right. Yeah, I would definitely say it's older doctors um, who are ready to retire really want that private buyer to come and in and continue. Of course, they also don't have the earnout. So than a lot of the younger ones. Right. And, it, and the, I guess the benefit of going to a private buyer is you don't have the earnout that you do with a DSO. Right. And that's that's an appealing thing to some of the sellers as well. So tell us some... Um, Tell us some challenges that some of your clients have had on maybe a couple things that you probably, if you're considering selling, don't do this because it'll go a lot better if you don't do that. Tell us some fun stories or some things that are some crazy stories. (laughs) Fun or crazy stories. I mean, my, my number one advice to every seller, my number one advice, once I get it listed, once they decide they're gonna sell, I beg of them, keep the pedal to the metal keep performing. Do not start declining this business. You know, send me an update that you just had your best month ever. Send me an update that you had a highly productive month. Because if they start letting it go on the decline and and think, oh, wow, I've got it listed now. I've got a great broker. She's going to move it quickly for me. And then if they start letting it die on the vine at all, now we've got, and now we have numbers that are declining. And now if, if, if things trail on, and let's say the buyer is getting lending and it takes, you know, one to four months to get the lending. And now we're showing a decline in the practice. Now lending's very tough to get almost, you know, or impossible, or the buyer won't be able to get the lending for as much as they thought they were. I, so, knew, I knew a dentist who started selling their practice and then took their eye off the ball and their, their revenue dropped. They lost focus and then the deal fell through because of that. And then she had to kind of recalibrate and get focused again. And I mean, and it definitely helped doing that. But um, it's very easy when you emotionally commit to selling. It's very easy to kind of start relaxing. Right. And that's why I tell them, please do not. Please just keep it going. Like I said, pedal to the metal. Go as hard as you can. Try to find it in you somewhere to keep carrying on. Keep Keep performing at a very high level, knowing that the end is in sight, you know, but it's going to be much easier to get across the finish line if you keep up the numbers. Do not let the business decline. So, you know, and if if a team member, you know, if a hygienist resigns, replace them. You know, uh, don't let another provider, I mean, that's a provider in the practice. You know, you definitely don't want to go without that ability to provide. But if an assistant, you know, resigns, replace them. Some of them will call me and say, so-and-so resigned. I'm not going to make that decision for the buyer. And I'm like, eh, it's probably going to hurt your productivity. You need to hire that person back. So sometimes the way they're thinking is is not in their best interest. So I have to help them with that. But there you go. You know, all my years of coaching, consulting, I, I, I know by the numbers of these practices, what what they need to do, how they need to keep it up so I can help give them advice along the way as we get across the finish line. So that's probably another reason why I'm such an unusual broker because 
buyers can call me and we can have a great chat about this practice because I know that the number of patients, the number of ops, the how it's performing, what the collections are, I you know, I can tell you in a heartbeat whether this practice is performing and maximizing on all levels or if if they're just kind of petzing along and this is actually just a gold mine for somebody to step in and just start doing gangbusters in this practice. So what's another piece of advice you would give a seller? The the best advice is, you know, you don't want to tell your team that you're selling in the beginning. You don't want to share that as open open knowledge because too many team members will get um, scared. They won't understand that. They won't give it a chance for, to even meet the new buyer. They'll just freak out and maybe leave, and that just causes chaos. So I, I tell them, don't tell the team in the beginning. But when we are, like if the buyer is, um, if it's going to be a buyer doing um, getting a loan, once they've got the commitment on the loan, once we have an actual close date, once we know that the bank can no longer back out on the buyer. And then I say two weeks ahead of time, go ahead, let's introduce this buyer to the team. Let's let's get them out on a social, like maybe a lunch where this new potential buyer can come in and actually get to know this team. So that, the, and, and let's go through an announcement of what's going to happen and uh, talk about the things that, you know, aren't going to change because most of the time this, these, the buyers are smart enough to know I want to buy this thing. It's operating as a business. It's running. It's productive. The last thing I want to do is come in and start making major changes because I need to buy something that's going to continue to cash flow. And so, you know, buyers want to work with the team that's there. Buyers want to make everything kind of go. Not that there won't be changes along the way, and some are more drastic than others in the long haul, but, you know, it's just best not to, I don't believe in blindsiding the team. Um, where, and, and that happens a lot in the industry. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of these situations. I don't know if you're aware of Ross, but there's a lot of it where the doctor walks in after going to the bank or the title company that morning, signing off on the practice and then walks in the door and says, oh, by the way, you know, I sold the practice this morning and it's now sold to Dr. So-and-so and she will be here a, in a couple hours to meet you. And everybody's just boom. I mean, it, it just, it goes haywire that way. And so, my experience is let's just wait. Let's get, you know, let's get close to it. Let's get two weeks out. Let's get 10 days out. Whenever the bank has made that firm commitment, there is no going back on the loan. That's when it's time for the buyer to go meet the team. Let's start integrating this thing. Let's let the team get to know them. Let's not let it be a um, overnight or a day of hard, hard hit to the team. Does that make sense? It does. So what advice do you have for buyers? You know, maybe maybe the biggest piece of advice um, for buyers is that um, many of them, they call and they want to be in areas in large cities where there are massive, massive marketing budgets that are necessary in, in order to grow and thrive. And, you know, every you state- make a ton in a, in a rural spot or a small town. Right. Because you don't have to have the marketing budgets there. And so, so you're, you're getting on to what I, you know, that's exactly what I'm alluding to is, you know, buying something in a, in a highly desirable, highly metro area, you know, you're going to have to compete because there's already somebody on every corner. There's another doctor on every corner and dentist, and you're going to have to pay heavily to compete. 
And if you can just go outside and find a rural place outside of a major area, it's amazing what the difference in marketing budgets are to get the same amount of new patients. Wow. So, and you'll pay less for those practices as well. So there's a huge, huge savings there. I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm in Texas. So, you know, maybe one of the examples that a lot of people have heard about with Dallas Fort Worth is, and I get a lot of calls from a lot of dentists who tell me I want to buy Plano or Frisco. Okay. Plano or Frisco, Texas. It's in Dallas Fort Worth, highly desirable zip codes for Texas for dentistry. And, you know, I, I end up talking a lot of those dentists into somewhere else. Let's let's move it out. I mean, if you want to be in DFW, but let's move out a little bit and explain to them the monetary benefit for looking outside of Plano and Frisco, for example. And that's just one example of one metro area in Texas. But like I said, every country, I mean, all over the country, every city's got those areas that, you know, maybe you don't want to be in the absolute number one most expensive marketing, <laughs> most expensive practice, and then you're going to be the, out the most expensive marketing trying to compete. No, when you have a dentist on every corner, it's tough to compete. So right. it's, it's a challenge. So as we wind down here, Charmin, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? They can call me. And, uh, you know, my uh, my website is Wingspan Transitions with an S. WingspanTransitions.com is my website. So they can quickly go on to that and find me and my team. Um, my personal cell phone number is 469-928-3750. They can so call me. Say it one more time. 469 469- Nine two eight three seven five zero. They can call me or text me, and um, you know I answer anytime I can, day or night. You know if it's convenient for me, I'll grab it. You know because I know how it is. I've always been this way of wanting my um, information out there because when doctors are looking for me, I like for them to talk to me directly um, if they can. So I encourage people just to reach out to me. So any last parting words of wisdom? Contact me if you really want to talk it over, you know, as a doctor, if you're thinking, should I sell, should I not? What's it worth? You know, most brokers are going to charge them one to $12,000 just to tell them what it's worth. And they're going to have to make a commitment. I'll at least ballpark it for them so that they know kind of what they're looking at in their market of what it, it you know, a, a close enough value for them to make a decision of whether it's even time for them to look into it or not. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Charmin. This has been incredibly insightful. Okay, awesome. Thanks for having me, Ross. It's been fun. You've been listening to the Financial Flossing Podcast with Ross Brannon. This has been another episode of Financial Flossing with Ross Brannon, guiding dental professionals to a brighter future. If you liked what you heard, consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. For more on Ross Brannon, visit rossbrannon.com. Ross Brandon is a registered representative of Coastal Equities, Inc., and investment advisory representative of Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc. Investment advisory services are offered through Coastal Investment Advisors, Inc., and securities are offered through Coastal Equities, Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC, 1201 North Orange Street, Suite 729, Wilmington, Delaware, 19801. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.